What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another 2022-2023 NBA Look Ahead podcast. We are on to the Washington Wizards, and I am super excited for the first time to get to speak with Matt Moderno. He is a writer for Bullets Forever, and he is also a host of the Believe in Wizards podcast. Follow that podcast at Believe in Wizards, spelled B-L-E-A-V-I-N, Wizards, and then follow him on Twitter at Matt Moderno, his name at M-A-T-T-M-O-D-D-E-R-N-O. The double D came across unlike I wanted it to come across there as it came out of my mouth. But follow him on Twitter, please. Uh, I have many questions about this team, as I told him before we hopped on. They are one of my what the F uh, WTF teams. I don't know what to expect. The most important question I have, though, Matt, how the heck are you doing? I'm great. Uh, pleasure to be here. I told you beforehand I'm a fan of the show, so I'm excited to talk with you. Not so much to talk about the Wizards, to be honest, because as we'll get into, I have no idea what to expect this year. So it should be fun. Uh, I appreciate that you listen to the show, but it also immediately makes me question your taste in like basketball opinions. So I like the Wizards, so I clearly have terrible taste. <laughs> and yeah, so look, there's so much to ask about this team, but I do. I'd be remiss, and I don't want to turn this into the Bradley Beal contract podcast because I feel like a lot of Wizards previews have harped a lot on that. But where did you ultimately land on the terms of the deal? And then versus were you leading like before this, it was all you had to keep them once you got to this point, you had to keep them. But were you on the side of, well, this team needs like more of a, a purged rebuild or you want, you, you saw the, the vision for them to continue retooling around Beal. I think you nailed it. Like they had to do this. Once you've committed to a certain path and you get to a certain point, you're kind of locked in. You know, there were some rumblings about maybe a golden state deal on the table a couple of years ago. Like once you turn down those things, you've got to re-up him. I think what really hurt was the sort of additional throw-ins to sweeten the pot here for for his contract. Like they basically bid against themselves. And from everything I've heard, this wasn't even something that Beal's camp really pushed for. This was something that the Wizards like went to him and like open, open arms and said, please not only take the max amount of money we can give you, but please take all of these other things. If they had said, hey, we'll give you a no trade clause, but we want only a partial guarantee on the last year or use that to sort of negotiate a little bit. I would have been really okay with it. But to me, they could have negotiated from a position of at least somewhat strength. And they chose to just be like, no, please take everything. And Ted Leonsis is offering up like his firstborn grandchild and stuff in the process. Yeah, it's like, um, you know, the Pacers, like Herb, Herb Simon just giving teams first round picks and signing trades rather than just signing players out, right? It's why right, exactly. I see that. I, I'm with everything you said, and I don't even inherently have a problem with the player option. I think that's just Beal is good enough to have had that leverage if they really, maybe they didn't want to go through the, and the, the trade kicker, I don't care about. They can get waived. A lot of it depends on how much the cap rises anyway, relative to his max salary. Uh, the no trade clause threw me. I was just like, I know he was one of the very few players who would be eligible to sign, like have one, but that was just like, you've now dictated if this doesn't work out, he's now the one that dictates the terms of how it happens. And I know stars do that a lot of the time anyway, but now you've decided like, oh, it's not going to be a mutual understanding. Like he can just have veto power. And look, if I were him and it got to that point where they were even looking to move him, which, you know, clearly they don't want to because why sign him to this deal? I would absolutely look at the stage I'm in my career. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely going to use that leverage. You're not, I'm not going to let you send me to like a team. I don't want to, I'm not even going to insult it. I'm not going to let you send me to Sacramento. So um, I, it was just curious. And so overall though, were you fine with their decision though, to say, well, we're just going to retool around Beald in general, or did you, were you of the mind like, oh, this should have been more of a, a wholesale reset. This is one of those things where like, as a fan base, I think the majority would have like opted for that sort of rebuild kind of approach. But I never really like let myself get to that point because I, I know enough about how they think that that was like never really on the table for them. So I just kind of never opened myself up fully to the possibility that they would even consider that. Like you've got Ted Leonsis like banging his fist on the table, you know, like Gorbachev or something being like, <laughs> Hey, like we're, we're never going to tank. Um, okay. Well maybe you could do a soft rebuild. You know, there are like right. other, other degrees here in somewhere in the middle, but it just, this seems like what they really, really want to do for whatever reason, and they want to compete for the play-in and, you know, more power to them. So I, I think uh, I've kind of resigned myself to that fate, at least. I will say, while I, the ultimate endgame is to win a championship, and we can wrap it up here, is that I do think organizations and players get judged too harshly when they don't move on just because they're not at that. Like, if Beal wanted to stay, that's fine. And you look at the Dame extension, too. Like, these deals 
by themselves, they're just going to be movable and teams will give up a bunch of stuff for them. Like you're never trapped in the wizards, which we'll get into later. Like they're super flexible, like just moving forward. Uh, it was just, it was really honestly the no trade clause for me. that just like pushed me over the edge. I was just like, what are we, what are we doing here? But there's actual basketball to talk about with this team. And Beal last season, uh, his efficiency just plunged everywhere, basically away from the basket. Um, he did get shut down with the uh, injury to end the season. Do you, are you concerned about like this being something that, that lingers or is it more the byproduct of this is a one-off the team that was around him. And you're just, you, you would expect him to be right back in that. Oh, like one of the 15 to 25 best players in the NBA territory. I think the efficiency may never like fully recover to the levels when like wall was kind of setting him up and stuff like that. But could he get back to, you know, two or three years ago when, when he was like really um, scorching hot, you know, as a scorer, but the three point shooting has gone down almost each of the last five years. I don't think we'll ever get back to like 40% from three Beal, but I think, you know, 30% is an aberration and we should probably be in the mid 30 somewhere. The, the thing that did worry me, we had like a sports medicine doctor that handled like very similar injuries to what Beal had on our show. And he said like, this is a very serious deal and it's very rare that that patients get back to a hundred percent functionality uh, in, in a wrist like that. So, you know, 80, 90%, is that enough for Beal to do everything he needs to do? I, probably so, I would think, you know, I'm not an actual doctor, but uh, it, that's sort of the question. If he's 100% healthy, I think with better talent around him, I would be surprised if he can't get back to, um, you know, the, the, the level of player he was before, at least. Do you think that might have then factored into them making the Will Barton, Monte Morris move where it was, felt like they punted on some point of attack defense? Maybe not because you signed DeLon Wright in favor of two guys who give you some secondary creation and, and shot making. It probably factored in there somewhat. I think there were so many nights where like one Celtics game in particular where Beal had to go for like almost 60 just to like keep them in the game. And now you've got a lot more help around him too. So I think they think if they can kind of lighten the scoring load around him, that potentially uh, he can kind of do more facilitating. Maybe he'll actually want to guard beyond like the fifth or sixth game of the season. You might get a more well-rounded Beal than just like, please go out and get 30 points or we'll get blown out. So I'm thinking that's probably the direction they were trying to go there. A couple months removed from it, like how do you feel about that that actual move, the the KCP trade and, and the fit of Will Barton and Monte Morris on this roster? Like to me on paper, you can't really afford to give up like your lone three and D wing on the team in KCP. But to be honest with you, like watching him last year, it was one of those things where I think it was like a little bit of fool's gold because he kind of skated on reputation. And there were some nights where he just did not look engaged defensively at all. So maybe it was slightly overrated defensively. And, you know, like that, that would be great to have all of these guys and KCP, but if you've got to pick and choose, I think I'd rather have two solid players than, than one solid player. And that's just sort of how I, I looked at it. They needed some kind of upgrade at the point guard position. I think Morris, while probably a bottom five starter in the NBA is still better than whoever else they were going to parade out, you know, parade out there. And, and Barton is a decent enough defender. I think um, maybe he's tailed off a little bit the last couple of years, but Overall, I don't. I don't think there's like going to be a ton of defensive drop off that comes from this, and and you just have more flexibility offensively. And there's like there's always been this high variance in KCP's performances at both ends of the floor. Like even dating back to when he might have been the third best player on that 2020 Lakers team. Like there's and this mm -hmm. Piston phase. Like he was there's just always these high variances caked into his performances. I am a big. I've always been iffy on what the stuff he can do offensively, but like I'm a big Delon Wright guy on offense, uh, defense, and like that. Um, if there is any drop off, like he can immediately come and plug like some of those minutes and pitch in on a bunch of the same assignments. I also cringed every time KCP tried to do like his Bradley Beal impression last year, especially with Beal out, like him putting the ball on the floor and dribbling between his legs is like always a wild, you know, adventure that I don't think wizards fans are going to miss like all that much. So I, I think you've just, you've got it slightly more competent um, consistently with the guys that you brought in and I'm a big right fan too. So I, I really think, I might have some spicier takes later about the role Wright could play on this team, but I think Ooh. that was a really big pickup for them. Uh, were you seduced by Christoph Porzingis after the trade deadline? He had like his post-ups were actually pretty good. And historically those have been very bad. Um, but just any real, and the real question is like any just overarching impressions of his game, his fit with Beal, which we obviously haven't seen. Uh, we weren't able to see to close last season. 
And then he's dealing with, what is it? I, I never keep track of his injuries. He's with an ankle injury right now. So is that anything um, serious? No, it doesn't seem to be. The team thinks that like he's actually like questionable to play in, in the final preseason game of the year. So I think there's a reasonable chance like he'll just be fine and ready to go on opening night. So I, I wouldn't expect anything kind of lingering from that. That was just one of those fluky, you know, things that happens. This isn't, you know, the, the start of some long-term KCP is, is dealing with this inju- you know, injury for the course of the year. I really liked the way he looked the last, I don't know, dozen games or so. And to me, I, I think the fit with Beal makes a lot of sense. Everything with the Wizards comes down to like role and fit. And that's really, I think, been one of their biggest issues. You know, under the Scott Brooks regime, there was this big thing like a third of the way into the year during that Russell Westbrook season where the players finally got together to talk about what they thought their role should be because the coaching staff had never defined that for them. That's like a huge red flag to me that no one's had the conversation with players about like what what's expected of them. And then honestly, the same thing happened last year under Wes Unsell Jr. So, so maybe I'm just sort of overestimating how much like discussion and communication happens between coaching staffs and players. But for Chris Stapps, it's like, what do they want him to be? So far in the preseason, he shot like a lot of long jumpers. I don't know if that's sort of you know, exclusively that's a, that's a favorite drug. Yes, that is, it is. So, you know, it, but last year was like you said, a more steady diet of post-ups. They were kind of mid post stuff. Like we saw more versatility, I think in such a limited sample size than we had seen the last couple of years. So uh, for me, I'd like to see him do a steady diet of everything. And even if the post-ups are kind of like less efficient than they were in that small sample size last year, I'm okay with it just because it at least makes a defense kind of have to think, okay, he could do this, you know, like maybe we have to kind of factor it into a game plan. I'm all for giving guys different looks. Yeah, if it's like a mismatch, I guess I just don't trust him to make like a decision other than trying to to shoot in those situations. And right. he'll never be close enough to the basket for me when he does. Sure. Uh, and just having watched him as a deadly disenchanted Knicks fan just from those days, like that can be madly frustrating. I was, and even some moments in like the, when he was playing in Japan this preseason, he does look sprier on defense, which is yeah, big because like there was like, it wasn't just, rim protection or verticality it was like there was pop to the way that he was kind of playing and that becomes really important for them and has also been one of the huge things with them is that oh there's been like waxing and waning with the way he moves on defense and so if he's able to make those sorts of plays and handle the type of movement he was like sort of swiveling around the basket that really gives them like just a monster defensive weapon i think makes him so much more valuable to this team and i'm i am with you in the sense that i think they could figure out something for him offensively even if he wants to be like kind of that star his game is always skewed. Like his best fit is plug and play. And if you have to give him some ceremonial post-ups or face-up touches, or, you know, maybe you let the second units or you're trying to let him capitalize on mismatches, that's fine. But I really watched like a good harbinger. I feel like for him to wrap up this like ramble on what I'm throwing at you is the way he's moving on defense and performing on defense is like a very good harbinger for how valuable that he winds up being to his team. Yeah. This team was like terrible defending the paint last year. And honestly, they were really bad in the Charlotte game the other night. They gave up like 20 points in the paint in just the second quarter of the game, which is like almost impossible to do, but he's looked more spry offensively too. Like the play he rolled the ankle on, he was doing like a, a Euro step through traffic and you just don't see guys that big that are sort of coordinated and spry enough to do that. So I think he's looked fresh. I, I think that there's a lot of um, hope with this team that comes from his ability to play 55-ish plus games. Uh, I mean, if if it's that's sort of like the number for me. If it's more than that, I, I think this team's probably a lot better than maybe people you know expect. And if he's playing 40 games, then that you know that over under number is, is probably right on the mark. You're clearly going into this with eyes wide open because you mentioned 55. And I think a lot of people are like, well, if Kristaps gives you like 65 to 70 games, it's like, no, it's not happening. It's like, um, I was shocked. It was not something I tracked like after the deadline. He played four back-to-backs with mm-hmm. the like both ends of back-to-backs with the Wizards. That has to be like a personal record for him. They were also like really, really conservative with injuries during this like, uh, ex- you know, exhibition tour in Japan because players like had a slight twinge of something. Like they just weren't going to take the risk and shut them down. So the fact that, Porzingis played both of those games, I think already is like a pretty good sign that they're expecting him to be healthy and, and trying to get as much mileage out of him as they can. Kyle Kuzma had a fairly monster close offensively. It was like, I think it was 29 games. Uh, Bradley Beal's not there. His offensive usage sort of changed in those situations. Um, do you buy into his fit like as this complimentary weapon on offense where it's, 
yeah, he's kind of like gives you some three, but it's always lower than you think it is. And um, he was super efficient for the Wizards off cuts last year. Um, just how do you view his fit like in this a healthier version of the Wizards this year? And then also specifically, like he's going to be a free agent because he has that player option. So just do you consider him like a potential long term part of this core? I might be like the at least the vice president of the Kyle Kuzma Wizards fan club at this point. I really enjoyed what Kuzma did. A lot of that has to do with his sort of off-court presence with the team as well, which we can maybe touch on here for a minute too. But on the court, he, he did tail off a little bit once Porzingis kind of factored in into that mix. So that last 30 games overall was much more impressive than, than the first two-thirds of the season. But uh, it, it was kind of a questionable fit, like who would do what, when, and, and kind of uh, my turn, his turn sort of thing. But overall, I just really like Kuzma's feel for the game. I, I think he might actually like have a, like a really long, really strong possibility of like leading this team in like hockey assists. He, he's actually a much better yeah. creator than I think he gets credit for. And I think that's huge on a team that maybe doesn't have like this sort of like pure, pure point guard. Like Morris is fine. I don't think he's like the best creator for others. He's kind of more of like a complimentary guy and, and same with Beal. So I think a lot of that falls on Kuzma. I think with Porzingis and Beal back, maybe you can rely on him to be a little bit more efficient and slightly lower usage. So if the production goes down, but the efficiency goes up, like I'm all for that. I think he kind of like fell off defensively a lot last year as the season went on. The effort was really there. It didn't show up particularly well from a defensive metric standpoint, but he's long. He's pretty switchable. I think you could maybe even see some like small ball five uh, Kuzma action this year, potentially, which I know we can talk about like weird lineups here maybe too, but I I think that's one I'd like to see a little bit more of. But again, I I think the biggest piece for for Kuzma and and the pitch I would make for players and and, for fans at least to kind of back him as a long-term play is just, this was the guy that pulled Denny aside and said every day after practice, like we will go one-on-one and we will work on stuff. One by one, they asked each of the young players like, who was the guy that was most impactful for them during the season? And I don't remember a single player saying Beal uh, and every single one of them mentioned Kuzma. And I think for a long time, the wizards have sort of been like resigned to having just like a, like a locker room full of like knuckleheads and, and Kuzma's done like everything in his power to not do that. So I think for me that, that like kind of really swayed, you know, me into the Kuz camp Uh, to your point about expiring contract that that's sort of the question, right? Like, at uh, four years, $80 million and some change, I think he would be a beloved wizard for the length of that contract. At mm. four years, $110 million, uh, this this town would turn on him pretty quickly if he didn't kind of live up to that money. I had no idea about the the stuff with like the young kids or his locker room presence. So you might have swayed me on the Kuzma experience a little bit more. His, his future is tough, and I think he can still be... Well, one, I want to ask you about that defense. You mentioned the center. Is that where you're more comfortable with his role is not defending centers, but like you prefer him against like those, those bigger, burlier, like I won't even call them wings, like combo forwards versus actual wings or smaller players. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a lot of discussion about like, well, if we start Rui and Kuzma together, like who's the three and who's the four? I don't know if it matters. I think the extra length that Kuzma gives you probably puts him more naturally into that role. Like that we Mm. saw matchups against um, like Milwaukee last year, like Denny and Rui guarded Giannis more than Kuzma did. But I I think that put like the onus on him to play more help defense and try to like weak side shot block and and things that maybe you don't really want him to have to do, but he at least is more capable of doing than somebody like Rui is. So that that makes a little bit more sense to me personally, but I, I don't think this team has like a lot of like really good defensive wing options other than potentially Denny. And and even him, I see as more of like a four, three than a three, four. So they have a lot of non wing wings is what it yeah, is. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole uh, roster. It seems to be like, you know, Tommy Shepard's type, I guess. And his just, this doesn't factor too much. I mean, I guess it could technically be in the trade deadline. His situation is so tough because he's not going to sign an extension because giving him 120% raise off this number is just not going to happen. And so like, you need to know either what, whether he wants to stay one, but like what it's actually going to cost to keep him um, so that you don't get burned and wind up losing him for nothing over the off season. Yeah. Sign and trades could happen. Yada, yada, yada. But like, you just don't want to put yourself at that type of risk for someone who, regardless of where you fall on his defense, where you fall on like his complimentary offense, like he's still, he's still very valuable to the makeup of this team. I think where they are at the trade deadline, like totally determines what that decision will be. If they're 
you know, in a play-in spot or in the playoff hunt, I, I think this team is more likely to be a buyer at the deadline. And we saw this with Davis Bertans a couple years ago. They had an opportunity to trade him for two first-round picks, and they were like, nah, we'll take our chances in the offseason and threw a boatload of money at him, and, and that didn't work out particularly well for them, I'd say, overall, although it did help get Porzingis. But that's my expectation is that they'll try to keep him and ride it out unless this team like totally craters or something like that. So I, I would, I would expect them to at least be negotiating with him next off season. You mentioned Denny Avia before he is a favorite of mine. I liked, and I went back and watched some of it for this podcast, but also because I, it was fun to watch in the first place, him getting just a little bit more offensive agency when Beal was out mm-hmm. towards the end of last year. Um, sees the floor just so well, can make like really good passes. There's some like I wrote about this once. There's some fuck you to him on drives too, where like guys will bounce off his shoulders. Um, what type of role do you expect to see him playing on this team specifically? And I think the the broader question is, do you buy into him like ever nudging up that three point clip enough as a not even like he's hit some like kind of just dribbled into them. But I think if he really wants to be like the optimized version of himself, is they need him to shoot threes at a higher clip and i think he hit like 36 plus percent on wide open last year or whatever it was like the volume certainly if that's going to be the number the volume certainly needs to come up on that i know this doesn't make for good audio but can i just respond to you with like my palms up while i shrug because i just i don't know what to expect from denny at this point like i want to like him so bad but there was also a stretch about a quarter of the way into the season last year where it was almost more likely that he would airball a layup attempt than he would like finish strong through traffic. And and again, I think this goes back to like one, like putting guys in positions to be successful and like a role that fits them and suits them. Like right out of the gate, this team didn't know what they drafted. And I, I, which is bizarre to me considering how much international scouting Tommy Shepard in that front office likes to do, but they were like, Oh yeah, this is our three and D wing. It's like, well, you know, he's better off like trying to be Lamar Odom than he is trying to be Mikhail Bridges. Like it, it just, that's a sort of being ignorant to his skill set. I think if, if that's what you want from one from him out of the gate. So he got better as the year went on. I'm hoping that this off season, you know, really like helped kind of get him some confidence back because to your point, like when it was good last year, it was really good. But then he's one of those guys where when it's bad, it's real ugly. So I think as Wizards fans, some of us are more conditioned to remember like those few really ugly moments. Like I remember one particular game where he literally airballed two consecutive floaters. And it's like, how how does an NBA player do that? And that probably wasn't even like the lowest moment of that particular game, but those things stick with you. And and similarly with the defense, it's, it's the same thing. Like he was really good overall, but I like to like call it auto Porter syndrome where like he would just like totally zone out and get beat back door on a big play. And you're like, he's the best defender on our team, but you can't kind of consistently trust him in, in big situations either. So he's a mixed bag for sure. I think his defensive activity is why I actually fell in love with him because, and I guess I could see what you're saying where it feels like he's probably better served, like actually being involved in the action where like if he has to navigate mm-hmm. screens and stuff, um, but if you, I guess we're stashing way off the ball, like you watch the team way more than I do. I'm not noticing him get beat nearly as often. So where do you sort of land on his defense? Has he become, I viewed him as underrated because no one mentioned him when I'm looking at it from like a million feet away. I feel like people don't really talk about him, but then like you're there. Has it become like idiots like me or like, Oh, Denny obviously is under, underrated on defense and it's, well, he's actually become kind of become a little bit overrated at this point. I'm pretty sure I wrote an article for Bulls Forever at some point last year addressing whether or not Denny Avdia had any realistic shot of making an all-defense team because that's how high as a fan base we were on his defense like a quarter of the way into the season. And it doesn't happen for Wizards particularly often. You know, Larry Hughes is the last one to to make uh, an all-defense – or sorry, he's the last one to make a first team. Wall made a second team. But for Denny, it's like he's definitely probably the best defender that they have – on whole as a team it just it kind of came and went with the offensive confidence too and they kind of weirdly like put him in the doghouse a couple times last year and nobody could really figure out why same with Gafford look arguably arguably your two best defenders and they would just like disappear from the rotation for long stretches of time and and no one ever really fully articulated why and what drove those decisions so i think for denny the defense isn't the question it's to your probably original question to me that i don't think i answered about the shooting yes i think he'll get better the the problem with denny i think is this is like a work harder versus work smarter situation like yes he gets the reps up yes he works hard so i think there will at least be marginal improvement but 
if you just have kind of like awkward form and you're really stiff, like no matter how many reps you take, you're probably only going to get so good. And Denny's a guy that the form has sort of noticeably changed, like from right before he got drafted to halfway through his wizard tenure so far, it's just, they've got to settle on something for him. And a lot of these videos you see from him are him working out alone in the gym without team officials and things like that. Whereas like Rui, they worked really hard to like rep out his jumper with him and, and like work on the form and being consistent. And it looks like markedly better to me. And, and I think the results other than this preseason have kind of, uh, you know, bared that out. Well, I have you, I have zero feel for Rui Hachimura. What is, what, is, what is he? That's the, that's just my question. Right? I, mean, I sent you a whole spiel. What is, what is Rui? What is Rui? Why is Rui? Who is Rui? <laughs> I mean, it's like a very big existential thing. I honestly still don't know. And that's the problem. Like there's this guy that came in as sort of like a, a mismatch four, and he was like, gonna like beat guys to the rim and, and shoot all these like mid range shots. And then all of a sudden he was like this big wing defender. And you had all like the terrible draft comps to Kawhi because they both have big hands, but there was like one game where he defended Kawhi really well. And it was like, Oh my God, like, do we have something here? And then the defense dropped off cause he got bigger and slower like he maybe bulked up too much, but then the shooting really came around. So again, he's another one like Denny to me. They're sort of different, but there's this roller coaster of like they do different things, but they don't really do them at the same time. So you've seen flashes of like all this different stuff. And I think the big question for just both of them is like, what will they put together and what can they do consistently? For Rui, I actually have like more hope for him than I do for Denny personally. Like I think there's a there's a realistic world where like I've seen Rui play really good defense again, limited sample sizes, but to me, it's more likely he does that consistently. He looks slimmer and leaner this year. Maybe that helps him on the perimeter a little bit more, but I haven't ever really seen like Denny be really effective offensively. So to me, that's like, there's like a further way to go for that. I, I might be kind of on an Island with that amongst the fan base here, but I would lean slightly Rui over Denny. The question too is just, Again, contract year situation, like, do they do they have him in their long-term plans? Does it come down to what the contract is? I think the most Wizards thing here would be for him to, like, really turn it on late and put them in a lot of, like, a, an awkward position here of, like, how big of a, a deal do we try to give him? Right. Or do we let him go somewhere else, right, as it looks like he's going to get good? And then we'll feel like we were burned if he's, you know, the starting power forward for the Knicks next year or something. <laughs> Uh, you're not on an island with Rui. There are when we did, we were talking about the Wizards and Donovan Mitchell on this podcast a couple times, and there were there were Wizards fans that responded on Twitter and YouTube that were like, "Well, like we wouldn't give up Rui in that trade." And I was just, I was, I was shocked to hear that in general. I yeah, mean, that, even if you're that's a bad hot, take. <laughs> uh, is there something to when when I've seen both of these guys on offense, Avdi and Rui, they're both very different. I do struggle to see how they can be like connective where it feels like they're both Rui feels like he's much better off operating kind of outside the context of everybody else. Mm -hmm. And then Denny just feels like he needs to, not that he needs to be on ball, but like that's the best way to keep him engaged or to, to use him. And that's super tough to have two guys like that on a team that has Brad, I mean, Bradley Beal. And then there are guys that can play off the ball, Monte Morris, Will Barton and Christos Porzingis. But like those are three players who are much better offensively than the two players that we're talking about right now. Yeah. I mean, that's really the challenge, right? Like the, you've got some of these guys where they're, they're sort of limited in certain things they can do and they're not really like versatile guys. I think you'd want your like six through eight guys to be slightly more plug and play. And and both of these guys need like very specific context to be like their best selves. And, and to your point about Rui, like operating outside the offense, like, I think there are definitely times where like other players stand around and watch him. And that's really not what you want from like the seventh best guy on your team, uh, especially when <laughs> you know, your, your best couple guys are standing there. So Denny, I think is best suited to be sort of that like secondary tertiary creator for somebody, you know, if he can hit some spot up shots, like that's great, but yeah, you're not going to give him enough of those reps to like really like figure out what you have there. And, and they still haven't figured that out. So I, I think that's, they're just like a lot of open questions with both of them. And, and that's not where you'd want to be with lottery picks this many years into their career. I, when I was thinking about this podcast, like doing the wizards a week ago, I realized I had like a very flimsy grasp of what Corey Kispert was as a rookie. So I went back and watched a lot of Corey Kispert uh, defensive possessions. There was like 
he just understood what was happening away from the ball. And he yeah. was billed as this. What I knew about him coming out of college was, well, Kenny defended the NBA level and he's just going to sling it. His three point mm-hmm. percentage did recover. Well, not didn't like it went up towards the end of the year. Sure. Um, what are you looking for with him in year two? Is it just like, can we get this guy to like really juice up his, his three point volume and hit it at the clip that he was to, to close the season? And do you buy into what made him so effective on defense for, or very not effective if you want to say surprising on defense for this team? Yeah, like you always expect rookies to not be very good, but he was like pretty good for a rookie that everybody had low expectations for. Like he really competed on that end. I think, you know, pre-draft, he did really well in sort of like the mobility related drills, like shuttle drill and stuff like that. He's kind of underrated as a lateral athlete, but he's smart enough to kind of put himself in those positions. I think multiple years in a college system playing for a good coach, like those things seem to take hold with him. And I always think there's something to like, if you understand offense at a high level, that can translate to understanding how to defend offense at a high level. So I think there's some amount of that with Corey too. But for me, the big thing I want to see from him this year is just like arc on his jump shot. Like if if you go back and watch him shoot a lot at Gonzaga, like from the college line, like it, it didn't seem to matter to him that he had this kind of flat shot. And last year they worked a lot with him on like just getting a little bit more shape on, on the jumper and, this so far this preseason, I've got again really limited sample size. Like it looked really flat again. So I, I think they just need like one assistant coach to just like kind of like slap him on the palm every so often and be like, hey, or like in practices, he's like shooting over a broomstick or something to just like get a little a little additional arc there. Because like you said, once that kind of change took hold, the percentage went up like considerably over the course of the year. Uh- Daniel Gafford, will he be setting Gortat screens this season based off what I'm reading? Isn't that weird? Like, as somebody who only, like, watches the Wizards, you know, intently, like, I don't even know what's really weird by their standards anymore because just, like, everything is. But you don't see other teams bring in... First of all, Gortat is, like, maybe the third best player of sort of the Wall slash Beal era, which is wild to think about anyway. But teams don't typically, like, trot in former players to just come in for two week stints as assistant coaches and teach people how to set screens like that. That's bizarre from like an NBA level perspective, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, you see it with like Hakeem Olajuwon used to work yeah. on post games with guys a lot, sure. but it was like independent of the team. So yeah, that's a, and I mean, I'm like, I'm not privy to the practices and we're not getting the footage that's coming out of golden States practices, uh, unfortunately. So, but yeah, that is like, I was just reading that. I was like, Oh, okay. And I've, by the way, I've struggled to grapple with like, I know why you make the trade anyway, but it's, you have Daniel Gafford and then you traded for Christoph's Porzingis. It's like, well, that's not really like the biggest vote of confidence and mm-hmm. what you want him to be. And maybe they're just like, look, he might average like eight fouls per 36 minutes in any given season. So we have to plan around this a little bit. I think for like any Wizards fans listening to this, it might be like an opportunity to mute or skip or fast forward or something, because I'm going to mention that Clippers game last year. That was like the darkest day for Wizards fans in a very long time, but they took Gafford out of that game where they gave up that huge lead and they kind of blamed the defense on him after, but the game really went south after he came out. So that's what I meant earlier. Where like Gafford weirdly found himself in the doghouse a couple of times last year. Like he'll like hunt blocks and sort of overreach on stuff and, and, and do some stuff that you just kind of expect from young players. I think maybe we kind of raised our expectations too high for what Gafford is based on that short sample size when he first got traded here. But he's somebody that like, I think has a lot of potential is still really young. You know, when you think about him in the context of the rest of the team, like he's not that much older than the Denny's and the Ruiz and stuff like that. So it was strange to me, but I thought that was a bad omen for him. And just the way they've been talking about Taj, uh, Tosh Gibson this off season, you know, you'd think that they just like went out and made this like huge off season acquisition. Like I think that's, the four, Wizards that's talk- four spacing five from the corners, Tosh Gibson. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. I mean, we we've talked about Taj Gibson the way the Cavaliers talked about adding Donovan Mitchell, and and that says a lot about like, <laughs> where the Wizards' off season has been. Uh, but you know, he's he's the one helping them set screens, and and he's you know blowing up cutters in in uh, practice and stuff like that. So it would not shock me to see it's like the middle of December, and somehow Taj Gibson has like stolen Daniel Gafford's spot in the rotation because for whatever reason he just doesn't seem to be like a huge Wes unsold favorite. That is wow. That would be, that would be very like Tom Thibodeau of uh, Wes unsold. I hope I'm wrong, but I I just, I have like a strange hunch just based on the way that both he and Tommy Shepard have talked about Gibson. 
do you have any early impressions of um, Johnny Davis's game and fit with this team and whether like, will they, is he just going to be breaking case of emergency or kind of looking at their wing depth of, well, we have wing depth, but they're not actually wings. They're like combo forwards. Like you're mentioning the fours who are threes sometimes um, just anything on him. Yeah. I mean, it's not been pretty so far. Like summer league was really bad and I was like there in person for it. And it's like, this guy looks a little smaller than I expected. And, you know, sometimes it's just, hey, this guy's drilling everything in warmups and then shots aren't falling because they've got sort of a weird, like we basically punt on summer league and add a bunch of like 26-year-old veterans that will never make an NBA roster. So he's not even like being seen in like a very good context. So I'm willing to excuse all of that kind of stuff, but it's not looked great in the preseason. It's looked slightly better around like other competent NBA players. I think this, again, just goes back to what I mentioned earlier about this fundamental Wizards problem about role and what they see guys as. On draft night, we're sitting in the media room and Tommy Shepard gets up and is like, man, look at you know future point guard Johnny Davis. And even the way Woj tweeted it out was like the Wizards draft their point guard of the future, Johnny Davis. Did that was how that was actually how it was phrased? I did not even notice that. It, it may not have said point guard of the future, but it, it clearly like referenced like this is a future point guard for them. And it's clear that that came directly from Shepard. And then they asked Wes Unseld, like literally five minutes later, hey, what do you think about Johnny Davis's ability to play point guard? And he's like, well, I don't think he's ever done that before. So, you know, we'll have to see if he's able to do that or not. So they already like weren't on the same page about exactly what that role would be. And then in the first preseason game, he looked like slightly more comfortable. He was kind of off ball. He just had to cut and defend. And then later in the second half, he came in with some of the reserves and they were like, hey, you're now facilitating offense. Like you, We want you to initiate for us. And it looked bad again. So I think asking a guy to come in as a rookie, learn the league, learn how to defend people, but also learn a brand new position. When Johnny Davis was a guy that like in high school played more in the post than he did on the perimeter. So now you've moved him from basically under the basket to like your lead Back up point. I, I don't know. It, it's just a very I, everything strange I read case. about him was swingman wing. I didn't even like, like this is not something I didn't even know that like he was even being portrayed as this like floor general type in Washington. I had no idea. Right, and and I think your expectation is like was all of our expectations of like okay he'll come in and he'll defend and he'll score a little bit off the bench and we've needed a backup too for a long time, but maybe they think Will Barton addresses that enough for them. So the Davis thing in this second half of this, one of the Warriors games, when they asked him to facilitate, it looked bad. And they said, like, hey, Wes Unseld, why did you do that? And he talked about, like, well, we really wanted to take him out of his comfort zone, which is strange to me that, one, your GM thinks he can be a point guard, but your idea of taking him out of his comfort zone is to ask ask him to facilitate. But also, you should probably establish what someone's comfort zone is before you try to then take them out of it. So it's just about like setting guys up to be successful. And I don't think they're doing that with Davis thus far. So as bad as it's looked, I think it's as much their fault as it is any like byproduct of his level of play or ability. I, I mean, so more of the story is like, he just shouldn't be fat. Like he then is not factored into the, the plans this year. Cause if they want him to be like a lead ball handler type, there's not room for that. Like they don't need that on this team right now. I wouldn't think so. It wouldn't shock me if like a third of the way into the season, he starts getting some amount of minutes here and there just to like see how he looks or I don't know. This team's like always snake bitten with injuries. So it wouldn't surprise me if they like suddenly needed him some amount. If, if Beal can't play as much as they expect with the wrist stuff or Porzingis is out and they shift everybody down, you know, if he averaged 10, 12 minutes a game over the course of the season and four or five points like that wouldn't really surprise me. But if anybody's like looking at the FanDuel odds and wants to bet on Johnny Davis for rookie of the year, like I would caution them strongly not to do that. Keeping in theme with this podcast, I have zero feel for what this defensive ceiling is supposed to be for this team. Um, I'm not as worried. Like they were, they were, first of all, they were like defensive darlings to start the year. Um, I'm not as concerned if you tell me that both Gafford and Porzingis will be healthy. I'm not as concerned about the volume that they let up at the rim because at least they'll have those two guys near there, near there to make plays. This, the addition of DeLon Wright helps. I like Monte Morris defensively, I think, a lot more than other people do. Mm-hmm. Maybe Beal plays more defense than he has over the past three years. Um, and I think I like Avia there. Um, Rui positionally gives you a lot of malleability. Ditto for Kuzma. 
But at the same time, I'm just like I look at this group, I'm like, well, what are they supposed to be defensively? How like how should they defend? What are their strengths? Do you have any sort of feel for that with this roster? I think top to bottom, the defensive personnel with this group is better than it's been the last couple of years, like you know, as a whole. But I don't know what they're gonna try to do. They've gone back and forth on like what they will and won't switch. They were sort of inconsistent about when they'd play zone last year. And it just became like I think accountability has like always been a thing with this particular group. And every year you've got Beal saying some like variant of like, this is the year I try to make an all defensive team. <laughs> and then by 10 games in, it's like, well, that didn't really last. And then a third of the way into the year, he's talking about, well, we can't guard a parked car or worst case scenario. There's a lot of him saying other guys need to start playing defense. And it's just like, okay. Uh, I mean, are we really okay with Neto switching on to Jason Tatum or whatever this year's equivalent of Neto is like down the stretch <laughs> of a game? There were so many times where it was Beal, it was Ish Smith, it was Neto. Like you've got to decide what you're going to do if you play those types of players. So for me, I, I think just having like Wright as a backup, you know, gives you a little bit more size and switchability and things like that. So the best version of this team is more switchable you had Will Barton call Kuzma out the other night because he missed a rotation like in real time, which I thought was good from that accountability standpoint. And then at halftime, you had Kuzma talking about like, it's all about communication with this team. Like we'll be as good as we can be based on how much, you know, like our level of communication will dictate how good we are. And if you sit really close to the court in a Wizards game, it's like being at a library, like guys are worried they're going to get scolded if they're too loud. And okay. just, you need somebody like, being the quarterback of the defense. I don't know that I see, you know, Porzingis doing that. So who's the guy who steps up and, and tries to do that for them? Honestly, I'd love to see it be Denny because I don't think he kind of shrinks from a challenge and I don't think he's afraid to, you know, he was willing to call Bertons out last year twice and get into little scuffles with him. So maybe he'll do that to other guys too, but somebody has to like be the defensive leader, I think. Do you think this team is built now to be maybe more aggressive in the way that they'll defend and will they do that? Because, it's honestly impressive in how not okay it is that they were um, so like they committed a ton of fouls. I think they were like bottom eight in foul rate um, and then dead last in forcing opponent turnovers. And so it's like, it's almost impressive that you could be so bad at both is my point. Yeah. Like if, if you were just, I don't know if you fouled a ton, but you forced a ton of turnovers, like I could live with that. But to your point, it's just sort of both extremes there. And and that's like a very wizards thing, I guess, from sort of my pessimistic viewpoint, like we seem to find ways to do the impossible and, and never in a particularly good way, but it, it should be one of those situations where like you have, you have this team that you think you've built because they give you a lot of positional versatility. Like how do you best use that and maximize it? I don't know what they'll do. I think this is really going to be a big year for Wes Unseld. I, I don't think anyone really loved his coaching job last year, but rookie head coach is kind of tough to do. Like, I think this year will really determine uh, what, what their defensive identity looks like. And I don't really care how they choose to play people, but just like pick something. And I'm not saying stick to it for the whole year if it doesn't work, but like give it 10 games and say like, this is the way we're going to play and and see if you can kind of make some, some strides in, in that direction. So I, I don't know. It, it's that that's going to be the biggest thing. If this team is like slightly close to middle of the pack defensively, I think they're going to have enough offensive firepower that, that this is like a higher end play in team. If not, maybe you're talking about 10, 11, 12 kind of situation. So aside from the health concerns with some of the players on this roster or specifically one of them, what is like the biggest concern or, or weakness uh, that, that you're thinking about leading into the regular season? I would have loved to just see like a more prototypical three and D wing somewhere on the roster. Like all the really good teams stockpile them and the wizards seemingly have none, which is kind of like almost impossible by today's NBA standards to not have anybody that's just like, here is a three. It's always, this guy is a two and a half or, you know, a three and a half. Like three and a half. It's, yeah. It, it's that's just, the best way to they're just loaded with three and a half right now is how it feels. Yeah. I mean, that, that, Honestly, that just must have been like what they were really in the market for when when drafting. So it just that seems to be like the trend. So I would have liked to seen something like that. I think the real fundamental problem here is th there's not like one glaring hole or position of need. It's just they're not particularly good anywhere across the board. Like they could use an upgrade mm -hmm. almost everywhere. Like Monte Morris is probably a bottom five starting point guard. Uh, if you start Will Barton at small forward, which seems to be the most likely scenario here, 
is he an upper half starting small forward in the NBA? I would say at this point in his career, probably not. He'd be an amazing kind of sixth man, you know, two three kind of guy. Beal, if he's not super healthy and not shooting at a high percentage and not guarding anybody, you know, like that, that, that becomes, okay, he's, he is what he is. He's not maybe an elite number one scoring option for you. If Porzingis isn't healthy, that's a question mark. Can Gafford be consistent enough? Like Gafford's 24 years old, I think, and he can't seem to play more than 23 minutes a game yet for some reason. And conditioning is still a question. So it's just, what, what are these guys? Like Kuzma could be more efficient. He could defend better. Like any one position you could pick out and just say, if, if they had someone just better at that position, um, it would make a big difference for them. I think. Do they have any underrated strengths that you don't think are receiving enough attention as we get into the regular season? I think like secondary or tertiary like creation is pretty good for them or playmaking. Uh, They've talked a lot about like, can we use Porzingis as like a poor man's Jokic and let him like create for people out of like the high post or give him the ball at the top of the key. And I I don't, I've never seen anything that indicate that he could do that. But if you think there's something there to unlock, and I mentioned, I really think Kuzma's underrated as a playmaker. This team has just been so bad from that perspective the last couple years that it's like one or two guys dribble around so much. And then maybe they give somebody the ball at the end of the shot clock. But the other night, like Kuzma drove, kicked it out to DeLon Wright, who like, you know, hot potato touch passed it to Rui, who the ball hit him in the chest because his hands weren't up, even though he was wide open in the corner. And by the time he caught it, he bricked a three. Like these guys are just going to have to like, I think they have better passing personnel than they've had previously. And it's just like, can everybody kind of get used to that and expect the ball more and be in positions and be ready to score. So if they can do that, I think this actually could be like a really potent offense. And DeLon Wright will help with that. Like he will keep the, this is not someone who like sort of, you know, stumbles or wanders into decisions. Like he's really, he won't dribble if he doesn't have to dribble. And so hopefully just playing with him probably will make people like Rui a little bit more better, uh, more aware with those incoming passes. And I think the other thing with Wright is just the point of attack defense, I think is going to be so much better with this team. Like you can say what you want about wall, but after getting the super max and once he started to get dinged up, the defensive effort was really inconsistent. Like Westbrook didn't really guard anybody like for, for long stretches of, of that year. Dinwiddie was like a traffic cone for most of his time here. Neto and, and Ish Smith were really undersized. Like this is probably the best like two man defensive group that they've had at, at point for I don't know for as long as I can remember. So I, I think Morris is underrated, but but Wright has already been a guy that just finds a way to like get in passing lanes, get his hands on balls, get deflections. So I, I think that that's like a big boost for them. One of my favorite things to do is to try and figure out like what top ten rotations look like heading into the regular season. They're obviously subject sure. to change. I have eight or nine locks maybe even 10 penciled in for the wizards where i have morris beal barton kuzma kp delon wright avia gafford and hachimura were just my nine locks Mm. and then i have kispert penciled in after that is that what you would guess or would you see like someone else being able to sneak into this yeah i mean i think obviously yeah i mean honestly if tosh gibson like i said is a major factor into this rotation it, it wouldn't really surprise me which is probably not like a great sign for the year that gafford's having if they're willing to do that but again they've just been like too high on him for them to not like people thought that signing was like maybe them trying to get like their Udonis haslam like this older tough veteran to come in and, and teach these guys how to be a pro but i don't think that's really what they're thinking so if, if he found his way into this group you know, that's, that's something like we, we've had a, a joke in, in sort of the fan base and we even made t-shirts for our podcast about it, but like the wizards are putting the mid and mid Atlantic. Like if you listen, <laughs> if, if you look at that real list, like there's a lot of just sort of like average guys and, you know, guys five through 11 are all kind of about the same. And, and I think that's kind of the problem with them. They just need some upgrades somewhere. This is to some extent matchup dependent, but what would be your go-to crunch time unit for this team? Is it just the starting five or is the, it seems like this team has the potential to futz and fiddle with that. I think I would probably go with the starting five for the most part. I think you need to see really how Barton defends this year. I, I didn't watch a ton of his play last year, but it did feel like the previous years to that, like the defense was starting to slip a little bit. So maybe down the stretch, you see somebody a little bigger, 
like a Denny with that group or Rui or whichever one of them is kind of having the better overall year. Can Denny play? Can Denny be enough of a threat offensively for them to feel comfortable closing games with him? Then it's probably him. If Rui's like much better defensively or much more consistent defensively, then maybe it's him. I personally really like like Delon Wright closing games with this team because I, I actually mm. buy the shooting. I think the size defensively really helps. And again, like a lot of games got lost for them really close down the stretch last year when they ended up with these mismatches of like Tatum shooting over a guy that was eight inches shorter than him. And that's how Tatum is winning games against all these teams in the NBA. But I trust, you know, Wright or somebody like that to give him a little bit more of a challenge than somebody like Morris would just from kind of a, a size perspective. Is there a weirdo, bonkers, quirky, off-the-beaten-path lineup that you'd like to see Wes Unfeld roll out this season? So Kuzma actually asked for this directly to close out the year last year, and he said he wanted to play minutes next to both Denny and Rui. So to me, I'd love to see some variation of like Wright, Kuzma, Denny, Rui, Gafford, and just like be weird and run or even Kuzma at the five for some amount of that. And you put Kispert out there with them and just sort of be this like weird, hopefully switchable five guys and just try to like put pressure on people. And, and you let maybe Denny push the pace and things like that in transition and just try to play fast with that group, I think would be, you said weird, not good weird. So I have no idea if that would be like an effective group or not, but it's something I'd at least like to see. Yeah, it's like the, they could be morbidly curious. That's what a lot of mine were. And mine are along the similar lines, especially I find like after you said you wanted to see Kuzma at the five earlier in the podcast, give me like the all 3.5 and 2.5 lineup. Let's just go with Kuzma, Hachimura, uh, Denny Avia, Kispert's out there. And then look, fuck it. Let's throw Anthony Gill in there too. And that, I can't imagine that would be great offensively, but there might be some like defensive potential there. You mentioned Gill too. And that's kind of the one that I, I drew a blank on. Gill is interesting, and the Wizards have this thing where, like, you saw Anthony Gill start this uh, preseason game the other night against Charlotte with Beal out, and they made it very clear that, like, he was taking Beal's spot in the starting five because they didn't want to mention, like, mess up their bench rotation. So uh, they even referenced, like, oh, you might see Anthony Gill get some starts this year. Like, so they're not afraid to just, like, take somebody like that who hasn't played in, like, four games and just make him a starter randomly out of nowhere, which I will personally never understand, but it's been, like, a very, like, typical thing in Washington. So I don't know if I would say he's consistently in the rotation, but it wouldn't surprise me to see him get, like, seven or eight starts this year out of nowhere. The Wizards' win total over-under as we record this is 35.5. Or would you take the over or the under on that? I would take the over. I always take the slight over with them every year. And I think it's worked out a, a decent amount of the time to me. I think this is probably like around a 500 team, give or take. I think the health kind of swings that a couple games here or there, but if they're a 38 win team, like I wouldn't be surprised at the end of this year, just because you got relatively close to that last year without Porzingis for most of the season. And without Beal for a long stretch of the season and without really knowing what you had from Kuzma and Rui was a wall for the first third of the season. Like, so right, right, I think right. if you have all those guys back in and just more like competent guys around them with Wright and Barton and Morris, I it would, I would be very surprised if they're not, you know, kind of high thirties at least. I went over when we, and I was smashing every single over on these podcasts to where I had to force myself to write, you need to sit down and start making cuts. And then we actually did, uh, myself, my co-host Grant Hughes and I, we did our over-under pod. The East hasn't come out yet, but I went over on the Wizards. So they made the overcut. It feels a touch too low. And I think part of that for me, well, I want to ask this question first. How many teams right now would you be willing to say the Wizards in the East are definitely going to be better than this season? I mean, I, I would do, if we want to go through them all, we can definitely do we, it. Like it's Indy for sure, Indy for sure, uh, Orlando for sure. I think Detroit for sure. I mean, although I like Detroit, I, I just think they're they don't have a ton of incentive to try to make the playoffs this year. If, if it happens, it happens. Um, Charlotte, I think, is the worst team in the East. Oh, that is. I guess if you're thinking that Lamelo is not going to play a lot, then absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I think you could probably you could get to four where you could say okay they'll be better than them. I still feel something there's something about Orlando man. Their guard play is not going to be good, but I'm in love with Paolo Bancaro and just their ultra big lineups. And then you mentioned Cade in Detroit, so there's like, but I think four right now. Is this a team though where let's say they're eleventh around mm -hmm. the trade deadline and that they're closer to thirteenth 
than they are to 10th. Is this a team that's going to make a move to try and get into that plan? Or is there still the potential for them to decide, hey, like we need to pull back. We have some expiring contracts. Like maybe we're going to lean into, I'm not even saying trade Bradley Beal, but we're going to lean into like a full on retooling or a, a half on retooling again. Like, or part of me going over, this is my justification. The Wizards to me are in sort of that same vein of the Knicks is that they're going to always, unless, unless someone gets injured, basically Bradley Beal, they're just going to be going for it this year. I would say that they're more likely than the Knicks to be like, oh, if we're not as good as we want to be, fuck it this season. Like, we'll, we'll have another gap year. But I view them very much in that same vein, maybe even as the Bulls too, where I don't know that those teams would have the the gall or feel like they have the incentive um, to you know pull back this season and, and just punt on it. I don't know a ton of billionaires personally, so this is sort of an uninformed take, but I just don't see a lot of them like willing to like fully backtrack on things they've been adamant about publicly. And, and Wizards owner Ted Leonsis has said, like, we will not tank. So they've unfortunately kind of done it unintentionally and not well enough to like really help themselves from a draft position. But I, I don't think there's any world where they just like cut bait and give it up. And, and I don't think that Tommy Shepard will want to do that either because he's probably not the guy to lead a full rebuild if that happens because it's admitting the last couple of years haven't worked. So I think it's much, much more likely that they would double down and try to make a move and, and buy at the deadline than like sell off a bunch of stuff. Now, then maybe you could say like, okay, we've got to get something for Kuzma and try to recruit value that we could make a trade in the off season to try to be good next year. If it's like really not working out or somebody goes down with that injury. But I think if the health is good and they're, they're in striking distance, I think that's probably a, a pretty high likelihood that they're trading somebody in a first round pick to try to get an upgrade somewhere. I agree. And I made the case and I got absolutely annihilated for it on Twitter, mostly by Knicks fans that Washington is a more, I don't even know if the word's appealing, but they have more blockbuster equity than people are crediting. When you look at the types of contracts they have as salary matching and just even intriguing players, like there are teams that would want Monte Morris. There are teams that would Denny Avdia is sort of like not the blue chip prospect in the deal, but him or Kispert or He's maybe you're interested enough. in yeah. in point guard Johnny Davis apparently. Um, and if you get into the season, this was the moral of my story, and it looks like the Wizards, if they make a material upgrade, are going to convey this 2023 pick. Why would you not historically looking at this team be like, oh, if they're going to give us distant first round picks? Like, yes, we'll make that deal. And you're still technically not guaranteed to get them. They're a conditional contingent upon that Knicks obligation. But if they're like in that mix and you're giving them a good player, I think they are. I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend that they do this. But to me, they aren't under the radar. Oh, they came out like where we kind of saw. Did we all think one of Cleveland or Minnesota was going to make a blockbuster trade? Maybe we definitely thought Atlanta was going to. But like the Minnesota or Cleveland's that just decided we're going to go for it. They're a team that I could see doing something similar and are equipped to do something similar more than most people have, have talked about. Yeah. I mean, by all accounts, they were kind of in the talks for Donovan Mitchell. They were in talks for DeJounte. I mean, the Hornets get a participation trophy. Yeah, for sure. That's sort of like wizards fandom in a nutshell. This is like going for participation trophies. Like we were considered and that's like really big for us. Like, I think we're still sort of like scorned by the, like we couldn't even get a meeting with Kevin Durant. So the just like get our named mention on the jump or something like that is big for us <laughs> as a fan base. So I, I think that's all they were trying to do is like tell people like, Hey, we're open for business and whether or not they, they do have like the juice to pull that off is it, sort of, we'll see. It depends on really who the person is because they don't have a lot of ability to throw a lot of picks into these deals right now. So that that's really, what limits them, I think, is how much people are willing to take on Denny, Rui, Kispert, Johnny Davis, those kind of people. I'm just like, if an OG Ananobi becomes available and you're that the wizard the and you have Denny Avdia and like, I just, they, they feel like, and I can't even name the players, but there's always, there's always a next player, even if it's only a fringe star, not a star. We just saw that like this offseason. There's always just someone's going to become available. I would just keep my eye on them is all. Whether you agree with that's what they should be doing or not. I think they have the asset equity to, to get involved in some of those glitzier conversations. If Brandon Ingram decides he can't play next to Zion and that just doesn't work for them, like, is that the guy you, you throw a bunch of guys at and, and maybe you have some shooting and stuff that they'd want next to Zion? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is Jalen Brown enough. pissed that the Celtics tried to trade him for Kevin Durant right. a couple right. weeks after making the finals? Like, what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, is there anything or anyone with regards to this team I did not ask you about you think we need to, to cover? 
No, I mean, I think you know, we've kind of hit all of the high points here. Uh, it's just a question of like the wizards are our fan bases at this point. We're like, we're having really spirited debates about like, should we just give a contract outright to undrafted rookie Quentin Jackson? Cause like, there's just not a ton of things that people are super hopeful about. So like, we're really latching on to just like, here are these guys that didn't get drafted. Can they be like marginal, you know, like fringe rotation guys for us and stuff like that. So that that's kind of where we're at. I think we hit the high notes pretty much. Um, well, from the, the million foot view for me, they are at least are fascinating because I, I just don't have any idea what to expect necessarily from them this season. Uh, Matt, this was great. In case anyone skipped the intro, are you able to um, tell them where they can find you and all the great work that you put out? Sure. If uh, anybody goes to bulletsforever.com, I do a, a good amount of writing there. I also host the Believe in Wizards podcast, B-L-E-A-V-I-N-W-I-Z-A-R-D-S. I had hosted that with Larry Hughes for the last couple seasons. Larry's taking some time to work with family and stuff like that. His son just enrolled at the University of St. Louis where he went, or St. Louis University, excuse me. So we're working on like a replacement former player co-host. So maybe have something exciting to announce there uh, coming up. But ooh, yeah, if you, if you want to talk more, uh, more Wizards, uh, we're here. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This was a blast, and I will definitely be spamming your DMs to come back on in the future. Appreciate it, Dan. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to it.